Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child, no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 100. Woohoo! My gosh. Today we're talking about mindful discipline and kindness. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving, when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. And this is a very special episode, and I'm still your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor, and I do coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in daily life, and I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over the 20 years, and I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I'm the mom of two girls ages 7 and 10, who you are going to hear at the end of this episode in a very real moment from our very real snow delay day again. But this is the 100th episode, so this is a really special episode. If you are new, welcome. This is going to be a little bit of an unusual episode, although we have interviews, we have solo podcasts, just learning and teaching and talking, and this is a very special interview today. And we're also going to hear from a couple of other people kind of sprinkled throughout this podcast as well. So if you get to the end and you're normally one of those people, ah, the interview's over, I'm just going to end the whole thing. Hang on today because there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a few funny and interesting little tidbits added into this very special episode. A hundred episodes. I can't believe it. Um, So before I dive into I just want to thank you guys. And But before I dive into that, I want to quick tell you who our very special interview is with. I, you know, I wanted to choose someone special for the 100th episode. And today I'm talking to Shauna Shapiro. And I just, 
I want to have Shauna on again because she is amazing. She's a professor, an author. She's an internationally recognized expert in mindfulness and compassion. She's published over 100 journal articles, book chapters, etc. And um, she has co-authored the books, The Art and Science of Mindfulness and Mindful Discipline. And her 2017 TEDx talk is rated as one of the top 10 TED Talks on mindfulness. So it's really a powerful, powerful interview. I, I could have talked to her for hours. We talk about what you practice grows stronger and how act shame actually prevents us from making changes that we want to make. And she talks about the science of that. It's so cool. And talking about in parenting, about this idea of sovereignty, we'll get to hear more about this and how to hold our boundaries and keep a soft heart, which I love is so, so cool. So I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Shauna. It is so good. But before we do, I want to, on the special 100th episode, I want to give a shout out to my listeners. We have had well over 50,000 downloads so far. and it's growing and our audience is all around the world. It's really pretty exciting. So most people are in the United States and yay. And we have lots of wonder, wonder, wonderful folks in Canada who I've certainly talked to quite a bit. And I want to give a shout out to my people in Mexico. So we've got our North America kind of represented, but also kind of surprisingly, we've got some, we've got one listener down in the Dominican Republic. Hey, mama. We've got 19 people in Chile. So great. Shout out to you, you in Chile. We've got some 42 Icelanders. Yay, Iceland. Rock on. Rock on. Glad to have you here. And then we've got people in Norway, Sweden, and Finland, and also in, in Europe and the UK. I'm so glad you guys are here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We have got an, uh, shout listeners in South Africa, as well as Saudi Arabia. So awesome. I'm so glad that you're here. And we have a good contingent over in India, too. Hey, my Indian mamas. So glad you're here, too. As well as Japan. We've got a good big old group in Japan. And hey, Let's let's get together. I love this. I want to come to Japan. Let's do uh, a retreat there. So cool. And then our biggest contingent outside the U.S., even bigger than Canada, are the mamas in Australia. Yay! Rock on to my Australian mamas. Shout out to you guys down under. It's like two degrees up here. It's probably and I heard yesterday it was like 117 degrees down there. So hope you're staying cool while I'm warming up and as well as my New Zealand mamas who some of them I know very personally great shout out to you guys so you are part of a diverse group of people all around the world listening to the mindful mama podcast and so I really really appreciate you I just want to I love that we can connect every week I love getting your reviews and your notes it's awesome Thanks so much to the Abigail Thomas Photography for your five-star review on iTunes. 
she said that your podcast has empowered me to take back control of my zoo and bring some peace back into our lives by bring, teaching my children that their mind is in control of their actions. Thank you. Thank you. That's so awesome. I mean, this podcast can have this ripple effect is amazing and powerful. And that's what really, really fuels me. So thank you. Thank you so much. It makes a huge difference. You guys rock. Rock on the Mindful Mama tribe. And while we're talking about the tribe, I just want to give a shout out here on this 100th episode to a reminder that as you're listening, you're here, you're with us, and you're, you can be part of this. So this is the, I'm just going to share briefly, the Mindful Mama manifesto. And if this resonates with you, let me know because I, you know, this is the work. This is what I'm really passionate about. So here we go. A mindful mama is a new generation of mother, present, evolving, calm, authentic, and free. Mindful mamas reject the culture of not good enough, knowing that when we free ourselves from stress and limiting stories, our authentic, peaceful nature shines through. Mindful mamas practice self-compassion and see their challenges as teachers, not flaws. A mindful mama values wisdom over reactivity, empathy over obedience, and begins anew every day. Mindful mamas live what we want our kids to learn, knowing that the best parenting is in modeling. Mindful mamas go within and get quiet to access their power. Mindful mamas practice presence, create their experience, embrace imperfection, love themselves. Mindful mamas are motivated knowing that with every step, they are changing things for the generation that follow, generations that follow. I am a mindful mama, and I hope you are too. So we're going to get to that interview with Shauna right after this very lovely message from a great supporter that you might recognize. Hello, Hunter and listeners of the Mindful Mama podcast. I am Anna Seewald, the host of the Authentic Moments podcast. And I just want to say congratulations, Hunter, on reaching this big milestone in podcasting. Yay, 100 episode. I have just celebrated several weeks ago my 100 episode, and I know what goes into producing and creating a podcast. So thank you for putting out this show in the podcasting world. I am a listener. I was a guest and I support your work. I love your authenticity. I love your laughter, your sense of humor, your interest in deep conversations and you just have a pure, genuine curiosity about people. And I love what you do. I regularly listen to your show. And I know some of my listeners listen to your show. So we share a listenership. Yay! And I want to wish you lots of luck and success in the coming episodes. I would love for you to come to my show again. You've been a guest twice. And... I have met you in real life and I want to let listeners know that you are as genuine, as real as you do sound on the podcast. I am excited to be your friend. I support your work and wish you lots of good luck. Keep doing the work that you're doing. I love the show. 
It's much needed. It gives a lot of hope, inspiration, and practical tools to the overwhelmed moms out there. So yay for the 100th episode. So you've waited for it. I'm so excited for you to hear Shauna Shapiro. She's amazing, and you are going to get so much out of this. So on to this discussion. So welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast, Shauna. I'm so glad you could be here. Thank you. Yeah. So I love your TED Talk, and I, I'm loving Mindful Discipline, and we know that you're the author of a few books. But in your TED Talk, you talk about a moment where you face, uh, you're in the monastery, and you've gone to study mindfulness as a young person, and you face a moment of judgment. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it was a very important moment. Um, so I didn't know much about meditation when I went to Thailand and I went to this monastery where the monks didn't speak much English and I didn't speak any Thai. And I kind of understood that mindfulness and meditation were about paying attention in the present moment. And my only instruction for the meditation was to feel my breath going in and out of my nose as a way to anchor my attention in the present moment. So as I began practicing, what I noticed as all of us notice is that my mind kept wandering off and no matter how hard I tried, it just kept wandering. And I started to really judge myself as, as you shared, I, I started to feel like I was terrible at meditation, that I was a fake, that I shouldn't have come there. And, um, luckily a monk who did speak English arrived from England. And as I shared with him, my struggles and my challenges, he looked at me and he said, Oh dear, you're not practicing mindfulness. You're practicing judgment, impatience, frustration. And then he said five words that I've never forgotten. He said, what you practice grows stronger. What you practice grows stronger. And we know this now with neuroplasticity, right? Our repeated experiences shape our brain. So if I'm sitting there and I'm meditating with judgment, I'm growing the neural pathway of judgment, right? I'm meditating with frustration. I'm growing frustration. So he helped me understand that mindfulness isn't just about paying attention. It's about how we pay attention, paying attention with kindness, with warmth, with curiosity, so that mindfulness really becomes these loving arms that welcome all of our experience, even the the messy, difficult ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you also talk about the idea of, I mean, this idea of kind attention for, for many uh, people here in the United States and in the Western world and the developed countries, I, I feel like we have a, uh, an anchor in, in some, some hardcore judgment, right? <laughs> Our history is, re- is really anchored in some judgment. And so it's really challenging for people to understand, to people to gather that this idea of kind attention. And can you talk a little bit to us about what is the problem with our shaming and our blaming ourselves and what happens to the brain on shame? Mm, yeah, thank you. I completely agree with you. It is so culturally unacceptable to be kind to ourselves. It feels soft and self-indulgent. And we feel that the only way that we can really make changes is to shame ourselves, judge ourselves, push ourselves. And 
what, and, and, and to be truthful, you know, I have followed that, that line of thinking myself many times. And so I was really excited to learn about the research of what shame does to the brain, because I feel like it will help people recognize that this is not a help, not a helpful pathway. It doesn't actually lead to change. So when we feel shame, the centers of the brain that have to do with learning and growth shut down. Shame literally robs our, uh, us of the energy we need to do the work of changing. And what literally happens when we feel shame is we have this kind of cascade of norepinephrine and cortisol flood our system, and our resources are shuttled um, away from the learning centers of the brain and to survival pathways. So shame literally prevents us from making the very changes that we are hoping to make. Mm. And when I learned this, that, that shame doesn't work, it felt like this is a message that I need to share with the world because we have this kind of completely paradoxical understanding of self-compassion versus shame. And we think that if we're tough, if we're tiger moms, if, you know, if we have grit and we just push through, that that's the way to succeed. And what I'm learning through the science as well as through the meditation practice is that a more yielding, accepting, um, kind approach can actually be even, even more effective. Mm-hmm. And it's so surprising, but the science has demonstrated that. And you must have seen this in your own life. I'm wondering, so you had this judgment, you're in this monastery having this judgment. You, you wanted to make changes in your life, right? You were in this monastery And I'm wondering about that level of, um, you know, grit, make it happen. I will just push myself kind of stuff in your own life versus this idea of kind attention and self-compassion in your own life. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question. And it really, um, it touches my heart because clearly this is something I struggle with in my own life and it's why I study it. And it's why I feel like I can teach it so authentically is because I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, have and continue to judge myself very harshly. And, um, and what I'm really learning is even in those moments when I catch myself, instead of judging myself and being like, oh, Sean, I can't believe you're doing it again. You know, this doesn't work mm-hmm. to in that very moment, hold myself with compassion. In that very moment, say, yes, it's okay to be imperfect. And it's okay to be imperfect and catch yourself and judge yourself and then catch yourself again and be compassionate. But mm. it's never too late to be kind. And we can begin again in any moment. And for me, it's such a hopeful message that, that you know, transformation is possible for all of us, no matter what, in any moment. Mm. And I think that for me, um, I've felt that during the meditation practice, I felt real faith, but there's also something wonderful about having the science back it up. And so for me, it's the weaving together of these two that is the greatest support. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. 
So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Wow. I love that, you know, because that's what my teacher, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh is who I've studied and, and, and practiced with in my life. And I, and he talks about every moment, every breath is a moment to begin anew is a moment of new beginning. And I love that you're, you're saying this transformation is possible for all of us, no matter what, in any moment and science backs that up. I love that. So how, how does science back that up? It's just, is it, tell us just a little bit more about that. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of different um, pathways we can look at. So first, you know, science teaches us about neuroplasticity, and it shows us that the brain cha- is changing all the time, that it's not static and fixed. And so, in any moment, we can practice what we want to grow. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this kind of um, the reason this is so hopeful in terms of our own happiness and well-being is that in psychology there used to be um, this idea that that we couldn't really change. And that um, it was based on the idea that there's a happiness set point. Mm-hmm. And just like we have a weight set point, you're going to yeah. be a certain weight. Yeah, that I've heard that. There's mm-hmm. a happiness set point, And this mm-hmm. is based on decades of research, very accurate, showing that if you win the lottery, you mm-hmm. have this blip of happiness, of course. But then one year later, you go back to your baseline level, wherever you started. Didn't matter that you won the lottery. Yeah. Even yeah. more surprising is that if you're in a terrible accident and you become a quadriplegic, you have this, you know, very steep dive into depression, but one year later you're back to baseline. So this is great news if you're born happy, right? You know, like you get <laughs> an accident, you get divorced, it's all you pop back up. But it's not such good news if you weren't born happy. And then it's like, wait a minute, if I win the lottery, if I marry the perfect person, if I get that house in Hawaii, one year later I'm gonna be back to this depression. And so what's so hopeful about this, this research and mindfulness is it's showing, and neuroplasticity, is it's showing that changing the exterior circumstances doesn't change our happiness levels, but changing our interior environment, changing our brain actually can. And so happiness can be trained because the very structure of our brain can be modified. Wow. Wow. 
It's amazing. And so have you, you've seen this in, have you seen this in your own life and your research? Tell me a little bit more about that. Right. So there's a lot of research studies. Some of the most famous ones were done at Harvard University by Sarah Lazar. And there's another wonderful study done by Richie Davidson and John Kabat-Zinn, just showing the impact on both the structural and the, um, um, the structural changes and the activity changes in the brain in certain parts of the brain that have to do with happiness and well-being and optimism and alertness. Um, the more people practice meditation, the greater these changes are. And you can see them, what happens is the brain actually grows. It's like going to the gym and you lift weights, uh, your muscle gets bigger. When you practice meditation, they're part of the brain that have to do with attention, compassion, learning, memory grows bigger and stronger. It's, it's called cortical thickening, the growth of new neurons in response to this repeated practice. And it's, and it's about that practicing with kind attention. It's not just, it's not just about being, you know, it's not just solely about being present. It's about being present with a sense of kind attention, with that sense of being able to begin anew at any moment. You also talk about in that talk, which is amazing. You guys, I'll have to, I'll link to it in the show notes for sure. Um, is a, a loving practice that was given to you by a meditation teacher. And I was wondering if you could share that with the listener. Absolutely. Um, and just to follow up on what you're saying about kind attention, and you'll hear this in my story is I was a little skeptical at first about kind attention. It felt really soft. And mm-hmm. I had really gone into this practice, like <laughs> with some um, urgency and dedication. And I was like, I want to be kind of a fierce meditation practitioner. And I don't want to be like a soft new age hippie. I'm not into that stuff. <laughs> um, and so um, what I've learned about kindness, which is just fascinating is that kindness along with other, any positive emotion releases dopamine into the system. And it actually turns on the learning centers of the brain. It actually gives us the resources we need to change. And wow. so it, you know, again, it's counterintuitive. We think we have to push harder, judge ourselves, shame ourselves, but actually being kind to ourselves um, doesn't let us off the hook. What it does is it activates us for change. So, um, so the story is that when I was going through my divorce, which was very, very painful, especially because we had a young son together, um, my meditation teacher saw how much judgment I was having towards myself. You know, I'd wake up every morning with this kind of pit of shame and why couldn't I make it work? And am I destroying my life? And, you know, worse, am I destroying my son's life? And she suggested an explicit practice of kind attention. She said, when you wake up in the morning, I'd like you to say, I love you, Shauna. And I looked at her and just kind of shook my head. No way. (laughs) And, you know, she, she, to, to her credit, she recognized I was not there yet. And so she said, fine, how about just saying good morning, Shauna? Can you handle that? She said, just, just that basic kindness of greeting yourself. And she said, and, and try putting your hand on your heart when you say it. It releases oxytocin. It's good for you. So she kind of knew the science would win me over. So the next day I took a breath, put my hand on my heart. Good morning, Shauna. And it was kind of nice, you know, instead of that avalanche of shame and fear and what am I going to do? Future worry thoughts. I just said, good morning. And I started doing it every day. And about a month later I saw her and I, I thanked her. I said, you know, that was, that was great. Thank you. She looked at me with this kind of twinkle in her eye and she said, all right, you've graduated. Now the advanced practice, which as you know, is <laughs> good morning. I love you, Shauna. 
So the next morning, woke up, hand on heart, took a breath. Good morning. I love you, Shauna. I felt nothing, you know, a little embarrassed, but not love. Uh, but I kept practicing because as we know, what you practice grows stronger. And a few months later, I remember it so clearly because it was my birthday and it was my first birthday without my son, without my husband. And I was alone and I woke up in the morning and put my hand on my heart. Good morning. I love you, Shauna. And I felt it. I felt my grandmother's love. I felt my mother's love. I felt my own self-love. Wow. And, you know, I wish I could tell you every day since then has been this miracle of love. I've never <laughs> judged myself. And <laughs> we all know that's not true. Uh, but what was, what's been extraordinary is that pathway of self-kindness has been established in me and I feel it growing stronger and I feel it coming out in unexpected ways at unexpected times. Um, in fact, just recently, and this so touched me cause it was so small, but I was teaching a meditation retreat at the new uh, 1440 Multiversity in Santa Cruz. And they have this really beautiful, but very heavy furniture. And I was trying to move this desk and I moved it and I dropped it right on my toe. <laughs> and I was already like kind of late for class. And I was like, oh, I can't believe you did that. And you're already late. My toes like spurting blood. And, and then I was like, oh, sweetheart, ouch, that really hurt. And so instead of going down the judgmental pathway of like, you don't have time for this and you're so clumsy, I actually stopped to comfort myself. And it makes me a little sad to even acknowledge that that, that isn't natural. But um, I had this moment of real joy where I was like, wow, this practice works. Like here I am being kind to myself the way I would treat my dear friend instead of judging myself for being, you know, making a mistake or being clumsy. and. Um, so what I'd say is that, you know, it's not a cure-all and it's not perfect. And I still feel plenty of, of doubt in myself and self-judgment, but there's more kindness. And I truly believe that I'm moving in the direction of even more kindness. And that's really all we can do is set, you know, set that intention, set the compass of our hearts in that direction. You know, I want to be more kind to myself. I want to be more kind to other people. I want to be a better mother, whatever that means, while still, you know, appreciating what I am doing. Yeah. Yeah. What you, what you practice grows stronger. Shauna, I mean, this uh, touches my heart so deeply because I, you know, I work with, I work with women and I teach mindful parenting. I work with mothers and there's this is the heart of all the work that we do because this is the foundation in so many ways is the self-compassion and mindfulness because there's so much harshness where we hold so much harshness for ourselves. It's such an epidemic. It really makes me incredibly sad for all of us that we have so much suffering and that we inflict so much upon ourselves. It really is yeah. amazing. And, and you sharing your story and opening up in such a very honest and real way backed by all this then research is very powerful. And I'm like, have goosebumps. Oh, I really appreciate you saying that. And, and I do agree. I think it's, it's kind of the modern epidemic is, is this self loathing and this self shame and the self doubt. And, and what's interesting is a lot of people say, well, if people are kind to themselves, aren't they just going to be like self-indulgent and aren't we becoming this entitled culture? And, and yes, I think there's a problem with that, but I don't think it's coming 
because of kindness, I think it's from our isolation. Mm -hmm. And we're all feeling so disconnected and so separate that then we try harder to kind of get our needs met or we have this kind of, um, you know, lack of, of empathy. And I think when we start soothing ourselves and being kind to ourselves and holding ourselves, then this natural kindness starts to exude. And we start to recognize that, you know, what Kristen Neff, who's a dear friend, um, she talks about common humanity, that one element of self-compassion is common humanity, the recognition that you're not the only person who's hurting. You're not the only person who feels like she's messed up being a mom a thousand times. You know, you're not alone in this suffering and to share this tenderness and this vulnerability and this authenticity, and then not just to share it so that you know you're not alone, but also to wish those other people well. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember when I would be nursing my son and it would be like four in the morning and I'd be so tired and, you know, tired to the point where you just like feel like you're going to throw up. And I remember feeling all alone. I'd be sitting in my rocking chair nursing him and his dad would be sleeping and I'd be all alone in this cold, dark house. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that there was millions of mothers in that very moment alone in their homes nursing. And I felt kind of our collective exhaustion and our collective loneliness. And I started sending out loving kindness to them and to myself, kind of taking care of myself and also taking care of them. And I felt so connected. And so I think this kindness doesn't just stay with ourselves. When we start to apply it to ourselves, it just naturally starts to spread out. Yes. Yes. And it, and that naturally, it, you know, I love that you segue into parenting because you wrote mindful discipline with Chris White. And I love this, love this book. I, I think it's amazing. Thank you. Everyone should go out and get it. It's um, wonderful. And you talk in mindful discipline about the middle path between authoritarian and permissive styles of parenting. And I think that it's something that people don't have a lot of understanding about. And, it, and it's really challenging because many of us grew up in a style of parenting that was either mostly, most people with authoritarian and sometimes permissive parenting. How did you, how were you parented? How were you raised? And, and now this approach that you have taken, I'm assuming you're taking with your son um, and you've, ta- you've talked about in mindful parenting, is, is that different? Yeah. That's interesting. No one's ever asked me how I was parented. Um, My parents are pretty extraordinary people and I feel really lucky. Uh, I would say my father was more held the line of boundaries and discipline, but in a loving way, but, you know, sometimes a little authoritarian where I felt a bit controlled and maybe pushed back. And my mom maybe erred on the side of permissiveness, Mm. but I'd say along the continuum, they really held a balance and were incredibly loving, supportive, wise parents. So I feel really graced and lucky, um, in that Mm. regard. For me, it's been more challenging. Uh, I think in part because I divorced when my son was so young, his father had taken more of the authoritarian role and I was more permissive. And what happened, and actually the reason I wrote the book is I was struggling. And by the time my son was five years old, he was kind of this little dictator in our household. And he, he <laughs> yes. thoughts, you know, I mean, he, he like came up to my knees, but he was in charge. <laughs> And I had this idea in my head that to be a loving mother, I had to be soft and like permissive and kind of coddling him. And um, when I started talking about this with um, our pediatrician, Chris White, who my co-author actually 
was who delivered Jackson and held him in the hospital. Um, huh. you know, he, he, he didn't deliver him, but he was there holding him in the hospital the next morning. And, you know, he, he, he's been with us since the very beginning. And, and he's the one who introduced me to this idea of a loving hierarchy. Mm. And it was just genius for me to, to recognize that I could be in my sovereignty, in my power, in my strength with my son and still let him know I loved him. And in fact, even make him feel more safe and, and more loved because I was holding a boundary to protect him. And so for me, it's like, how can you come from this very rooted, grounded strength place and keep the love alive. Don't shut your heart down. Keep a soft heart. We talk a lot about a soft heart in the book where, you know, sometimes you get mad at your child and you're like, you're not allowed to do that. You set a boundary, but it's out of anger. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, I love you so much. It's time to go to bed. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not, and I know the difference in me. Sometimes I'm just exhausted and I know I have a book chapter to finish and I know I have to pack his lunch. (laughs) I'm like, Jackson, go to bed. And I'm not creating a boundary with him for his own well-being. It's, it's coming out of my, my agitation. But if I can soothe myself, then I can tell him from a loving place, sweetheart, we're going to bed now because I love you. Mm-hmm. And he feels how true that is, and he doesn't resist. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how you talk in the book about the responsive brain versus the reactive brain. And I think this is what we want as mindful mamas, is we want to Uh, you know, get to this place where we are more responsive and less reactive. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? 
Yes. <laughs> Breathe and pause as much as you can. <laughs> you know, it's I, there's something about being a mother, especially for me, where it triggers me just beyond anything, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's extraordinary. And what I'm learning is that the slower I go, the um, more I can stay connected to my truth and to my heart. And that when I'm in reactivity, nothing good is going to come out of it. And in fact, I've even told my son, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel has that wonderful model of the brain using his fist. And he shows how the reptilian brain and then the the fingers form over the fist to form the prefrontal cortex. And he says, when you flip your lid, the prefrontal cortex comes, you know, becomes dysregulated. It's no longer connected to the rest of the brain. And so you're functioning out of, you know, basically a, a reptilian brain. Um, and you no longer have this higher order reasoning. And so what I'd say to my son, when we'd start to have fights, is like, mommy's flipped her lid. <laughs> you know, we now have two five-year-olds going at this. It's not <laughs> <laughs> and so I would take lots of space or timeouts for myself where I said, I need to go, I'll set a timer for five minutes and I just need to breathe and calm down so that I can bring my best self back to you. And so instead of making him have timeouts, um, which I, I think can, you know, be very challenging and harmful, um, I would, I would express my timeouts. And yeah. the other thing that I recognized in myself is that, and again, this comes back to the kindness and the self-compassion. If I wasn't taking good care of myself, if I was stretched thin, it, that's where that's where I break is with mm-hmm. my son. And so, you know, you think, oh, it's okay if I do one more interview or one more um, book chapter, or one more talk, and you can usually pull it off. But then what I notice is I come home and I'm not my best self for my son. So my students are getting my best self and, you know, and so I've had to really and continue to find that balance of how can I give my gifts in the world and really contribute in a way that, that I know is my purpose and still, you know, be a healthy human being and a mindful mama for my boy? Yes, yes. And squeezing a podcast interview in before you pick him up. <laughs> I well, love exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you can, and you can feel, right? You feel that tension. And I feel it closes my heart in a way that um, I don't want to live like that. And I don't want to model that for other women where it's like, yeah, I can do everything because we can't and we need to choose and we need to choose gracefully. And, and it's a learning. It's a, you know, I'm, I have a 12 year old now and I feel like I'm still learning every single day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a process. I have a personal mantra that is uh, thou shalt not squeeze. (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's that's what I work with too as well. I love that. So I I want to honor your time. I love talking to you, Shauna. I could talk to you for a while, but you talk about, and I wanted to bring this up, um, especially in the book, but you, you write, um, if we, you talked about the idea of unconditional love versus conditional love. And I think that all of us think that, you know, we love our kids unconditionally, but unfortunately we send them the message that we don't. And you communicate that really well here. You say, if we can instead communicate to our little ones, I will only respond to you when you're sweet or nice, or when you settle down are not crying or are not angry, then they begin to distrust themselves and their inner world of motivation and emotion. This leads to a loss of basic trust in reality and the natural movements of their own feelings. Wow. So tell us a little bit more about this. 
Yeah. And again, it, you know, it touches something in my heart hearing those words, because of Mm -hmm. course I wrote them and yet I can't always live them. Mm -hmm. And what I, one of the biggest learnings for me was often when my son was quiet and playing by himself and being a sweetheart, I actually, um, would like take that time to, to go do work. Cause I'm like, Oh, thank God. I have a little bit of, of <laughs> and one of the things that, that Chris really taught me was when, when your child is, is in those softer places, that's a wonderful time to give them attention before they even need it to mm-hmm. kind of shower them with this loving attention. So you fill them up. And so it, that doesn't directly address the unconditional love mm-hmm. Thing, which I'll touch on next, but I think that piece is really important just as a starter piece too, so that there's these kind of, you're filling up this bank account of love and that your attention and interactions aren't solely around trying to logistically get things done or to discipline them. Yes. In, in terms of unconditional love, I think, again, that's where when I can make boundaries from a sane, healthy, grounded, loving place, he feels that I'm loving him even in those boundaries. And when he's having a meltdown or, you know, we recently had kind of a a big issue come up that I won't share the details of, but I remember looking at him, instead of getting angry, I said, I trust your good heart. Mm. Like, I trust you. I love you. I know that you're going to make the wise choice next time. And I'm not even going to get mad at you. There's no, you know, this the consequence is how your heart feels right now. That's Mm -hmm. the consequence. And I love you. And nothing will take away this love, nothing you could do. And I remember he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes and, and it was just, you could feel that he understood. Um, and that he also felt the pain, the remorse of, of what he had done. And I, and I also like to bring this up because when I say that shame is not helpful, Mm -hmm. I want to differentiate between shame and healthy remorse. And I do think it's important for us to actually feel the pain of our missteps Mm -hmm. and not in a way that I'm bad or something's wrong with me or in a hopeless way of I'm always going to be like this, but in a way that says, I, I see clearly, I see clearly, um, with my wisdom and my compassion. And I don't want to choose that again. You know, there's a wonderful phrase, um, we use in the book that Tara Brock taught me which is it's not my fault and I'm responsible. Okay. So it's not my fault. Causes and conditions led me to this place. You know, my, my upbringing, my genetics, my, you know, my culture, like it's not my fault, but as soon as you see it, I'm responsible. I'm responsible to not let that happen again. Wow. Wow. I mean, cause that's, that's, I love that. Um, I love that Shauna, because exactly. It's like when that's exactly what I talked to about to moms about, because it's like when we're triggered, it's not like we're choosing. It's not like we're like, Hey, I think I'm going to lose my stuff at my kid today. And that's going to be a great decision. You know, we, I mean, if you think about how do you feel after yelling at your child, you feel awful, you know, just awful. And how do you feel when things are loving and smooth? It's like, I'm like on top of the world. I mean, I've called my mom and I've been like, Oh my God, I'm so happy right now. And she's like, what happened? And I'm like, well, I got Justin, you know, dressed, fed him breakfast, gone to school on time. And like nothing bad happened. She's like, that's a good day. You know, <laughs> you know, there's, there's this sense of like all's right with the world when your children are happy and healthy. And, um, and, and it's excruciating when things are challenging between them. And so what, what you have to say to yourself is, I, I'm not choosing this. 
this isn't who I want to be. Um, I can't beat myself up about it. You know, like I was exhausted. There were reasons why this happened, but now what, what's my next step? And what I find is when I do that, then we come back together more easily and more quickly. But when I sit and I stew in my self judgment and my shame, that's taking my energy away from him. It's not helping him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and you're then you can't be uh you can't, you know, if love is attention, I mean honestly like you know, that's that's what love feels like is loving attention and if that that's what it is when we're stewing in our stuff, we can't give that at all. I love that. I it's not my fault and I'm responsible. I really invite you the listener to wrap your head around that one. That is going to be uh I'm going to be pondering that I think for a few days, Shauna. Um, I want to be respectful of your, your time and I love your work. And I think I'll probably be sharing maybe more of maybe insights that I have looking at this book and as I go along. Um, but I want thinking about the, um, person, the, the listener who is maybe at a place with their child where they're starting to, um, follow down, go down the path of, of, of threatening and yelling and it doesn't feel good and they want to change. What might you say to that listener? Mm, I would say to put your hand on your heart and feel your own good intention, your own purity of heart. Feel how much you love your child and how this consequences and punishment is coming out of your own anxiety and fear and exhaustion and overwhelm. And so the first thing to do is really just hold yourself with compassion and to remember, to remember who you truly are and what your deepest intentions are. And to trust that from that deeper place, the wisdom of how to respond to your child when they're in pain or they're struggling will be much more effective. But it starts with first coming back to yourself and really trusting yourself. And I genuinely believe that I'm not really teaching anyone anything, that all these teachings are just reminders of what we already know. Mm. That this wisdom's already right here if we can listen. Yeah, yeah. If we can s- slow down enough to listen, if we can... I think what you were talking about earlier, that idea when you were saying to your son, I I trust your good heart, you were saying you were basically dropping yourself out of the fear of, you know, you're taking, you're taking yourself out of that fear and going into this place of like, I back to trust, like, I trust you, I see you, I know you're good. And I, I think, I kind of see that's what you're saying to moms and listeners. Exactly. Do that for yourself that, yeah. you know, that, that how we see ourselves completely impacts how we be in the world. You know, they did, did that. Um, I don't know if it's a wonderful study, but very, very um, important study uh, about the Pygmalion effect and, and how people see us impacts kind of what happens. And, you know, the, the teachers who they, they had the, the students take exams and they faked their scores. So the teachers were told these students are very bright and you're most brilliant students. And these students are they're really problematic and have some learning disabilities. And, and then one year later, they gave the students the test again. And those students who the teacher thought were bright 
scored much higher than the, the students who the teacher thought weren't right, even though in reality, there was no difference between them. So just being with a teacher who believed in you for a year increased your scores. Now, the teacher is only with you a couple hours a day. You're with yourself 24 hours a day. So you can imagine the stories you tell about yourself, what you think about yourself, how deeply they're going to impact you over the years. Yes. Yes. If we go back to reminding ourselves, I love my child, right? I, you know, that, that's what I go back to every day. I'm like, man, I'm not perfect, but I really love him. I love Jackson, you know, and I, I have a little sticker on my computer that says Jackson is precious. And, you know, and my friend was like, why do you need to remind yourself of that? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, sometimes I get caught up in my work and I need to have those physical reminders of what's true. And as soon as I see it, I re- I'm like, of course, this is um, infinitely more important than whatever I'm doing right here. But we forget really easily and we don't need to shame ourselves for forgetting. And it doesn't mean that we don't love our children. It just means we need support and remembering. Yes. Yes. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much, Shauna, for helping us remember, helping spread that message. I really appreciate your work. I really appreciate the, the TED Talks. Amazing. Everyone should watch it. I really appreciate Mindful Discipline. It's definitely going to get a place of honor on my shelf and probably going to work its way into the work that I share. You're sharing your voice and you're sharing so honestly and beautifully and clearly and bringing this to the world is rippling out wide and I can't express my appreciation enough. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you. This has been a pleasure for me too. And I appreciate your work in the world and how you're able to kind of synthesize and spread this message into a much larger uh, community. So thank you. Wow. Isn't Shauna amazing? I love what she said about shame actually preventing us from making the changes that we want to make and instead kindness releases dopamine and turns on the learning centers of the brain. That is so, so vital for us. And that idea of sovereignty and power and what you practice grows stronger. So, so good. So I love, love, love this. Thank you so much, Shauna. We have a couple more things coming up for you in this special episode, special 100th episode. Yay! I've got my daughters are going to um, see us out. They've got, (laughs) and you're going to get a little snippet of our daily life on our third snow day in seven days. Anyway, before you get to hear my girls, though, I want to turn it over to a listener, a friend, and a participant in the Mindful Parenting course. And also, she might get on the podcast sometime later this year because she's got something cool to say about simplifying too as well. So here we go. Hi, this is Jeannie. And um, I took Hunter's Mindful Parenting course last year and also was at her live retreat. And um, I would say that the Mindful Parenting course has dramatically changed my relationship with my older daughter, especially because I feel like I'm much better at listening to her needs and listening in a way where she really feels heard, not just sort of listening and then putting what I want her to do after it. (laughs) So I feel like 
our relationship has gotten a lot better since the mindful to parenting course and we're a lot closer and just having a lot a lot of more quality discussion about when we both want different things which is just a part of life <laughs> i'm also grateful for the podcast and i just want to say thank you hunter for all of your work bye Thank you so much, Jeannie. I really appreciate those kind words. So, so great. Thank you so much. Coming up in the next episode, I just want to let you know that Carla, my friend Carla, will be back and we will be talking about your resolutions and how to really make change. And it's interesting because it 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 adds to a lot of what Shauna said here and the and the research she said here. So we're going to talk about that next week on the podcast. So I will see you then. And um, I want to thank my dear husband for the music. And um, I just want to send you lots of lots of love, lots of appreciation, my friend. I'm so glad you're here um, with me on this parenting journey. It's so hard. I mean, it, it brings up so much. It digs at us in this really, really deep in lasting way. And we need to come together. Like that's what we need to do as women, come together as parents, come together and support each other and hold each other up, hold our hands and be real and be honest. And I hope that's what this podcast is doing for you because it's really what I really care about. And I, I really care about you. And I know that your peace and happiness and groundedness it makes a difference for everyone. It makes a difference for me. It makes a difference for my, for your kids, for my kids. It really makes a difference in this world because what happens in this micro level of the family truly ripples out into the macro level. So don't ever forget that. And now, thank you for being here for my 100th episode. Yay! I hope we'll have many, many more. And uh, let my daughters and this little snippet of our daily life take us out. What is that? <laughs> yes, you do. Um, I'm Yay! recording. <laughs> Why? We don't have to unload the dirty dishes. Can you say thank you for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast for me? Why? Okay. So I'll, I can I'll put it on it. the podcast. I'll do it. Thank you for listening. No, I'm going back. Come on. <laughs> think about it. Grammy's going to be listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Here, sorry, you say it. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I am Alexa. Thank you for listening. Oh, no uh, Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Do you want to say thanks for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast? Say. Ha! Go! Honey, that's okay. for people's ears. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Mindful Mom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mindful. <laughs> Come on, honey. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. I have a robot. Goodbye. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, 
a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.